amazing grace, unfailing love. That is you, Jesus. Amazing grace. You blow us all away with your grace. You have saved us. We are saved by that grace and unfailing love that you have showed to every single one of us. And I thank you today that you really do bring our chaos back into order. And God, if we ever need for that amazing grace and unfailing love in our country, on our planet right now, it's, we, need, we need it to bring chaos back into order. So God, would you just take these next few moments? Thank you. Thank you, God, that you can do so much in a few moments than we can do in years and decades. God can do more in a moment in a person's life than any, any court decision, any legislation, any political party. God can do something powerful right now. So thank you for your unfailing love. Thank you for your amazing grace. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Boy, it is unfailing love and it is amazing grace. I believe God is going to challenge us today as the church. A few years ago, um, there was a needless fairy tragedy that took place in the Aegean Sea. In fact, there was the loss of 66 lives that never should have happened. It was a ferry that would make the trip eight times every week. It, it, knew the, it knew the path. It knew exactly what it was supposed to do. And in fact, just six miles out from docking, the pilot decided to put the ferry on autopilot, took a nap while the crew and the first mate began to go watch a soccer game. And all of a sudden, with, with not realizing what he actually did, and by violating the protocol, the ship began to go right into a rocky islet that, that was easily seen if somebody was manning the post and someone was watching where the ship was going. The captain was sleeping, unaware that the autopilot was literally taking them straight to rocks of this islet and a disaster that was going to take place. The captain and the crew were charged with murder and negligence of duty. And he, because he put it on autopilot and because he took a nap. Don't, don't miss that. The ship was put on autopilot and, took it, and he took a nap instead of manning the ship through some, through some waters that needed a captain there. If there's ever a time for us as a church that we need to make sure that we're manning the deck and steering the ship, it's this season that the church is in now. What we have experienced in these past four months, and it's hard to even believe that I'm even saying the word four months, that at March 15th, when the world shut down, that the nation and the church, which has experienced these pandemic waters, civil unrest, we cannot, as the church of Jesus Christ, fall asleep at the wheel because it could be catastrophic for us. We don't want to run what God is doing. We don't want to run the work of God aground. I just heard a statistic just last night that said that 25% of pastors in our country, right here in America, are, have put it on autopilot. In fact, what they have said was this on a survey. They said they just want to get their church through this pandemic and then they're calling it quits. It's, I, I just want to be done with this and because I can't navigate these waters. Let's make it, let's be very clear. The work is hard and that harder than it's ever been before. And autopilot is not what we need, but we need people that are hearing the voice of God and steering it the way God wants us to go. See, even the Bible speaks about personal lives 
like that Greek ferry, that if, that if we're not careful, we could be shipwrecked. Listen to what those words that Paul uses in 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 19. He says, keeping faith and a good conscience, which some have rejected, and listen to these words, and have suffered shipwreck in regard to their faith. The message translation really talks about that verse with an autopilot on it. Listen to this. He says, keep a firm grip, that, that, like a captain on a ship, keep a firm grip on your faith and even on yourself. After all, this is a fight that we're in. And there's some of you know, by relaxing their grip and thinking anything goes, have made a thorough mess of our faith or their faith. And that's where Paul in that one version calls it a shipwreck. See, what I believe is next, and I want to encourage you today, what's next for the church of Jesus Christ is so critical right now. Because I believe, and I want you to listen carefully to this, I believe God is writing a new story for his people in his church. I, I grew up hearing the old stories. My family grew up in, in an amazing church right across the street from Madison Square Garden in, in New York City called Glad Tidings Tabernacle. They would tell me of the miracles. They would tell me um, of listening to, of, of listening to um, healing evangelists like Smith Wigglesworth or Catherine Kuhlman and hearing um, then when you got to the 50s when, when David Wilkerson came to New York City and I would hear those stories growing up about the amazing work of God that would take place. And, and listening to those old stories, I'm, I'm asking myself, God, are you taking us in a season that you're getting ready to write another story? I want you to, I want you to think about this for a second because it's exactly what God begins to tell the children of Israel who have been telling the same story. You ready for this? They've been telling the same story of God's deliverance from Egypt for a thousand years. The same story. 1,000 years of God delivered us from 400 years of slavery, took 10 plagues, got us out from under Pharaoh and, and parted the Red Sea and began to bring us here to the promised land. Think about that. For 1,000 years, as you read through the Old Testament, it's, it's told in Exodus and Leviticus, Numbers and Deuteronomy. It's in the Kings and the Chronicles all the way through the Psalms. And for 1,000 years, you hear that story. And then all of a sudden, after 1,000 years, the prophet Jeremiah begins to speak in behalf of God and says that story has an expiration date on it. That story is, will no longer be told. And God says, there is a new story that I want you to tell. Listen, listen to these words from Jeremiah chapter 16, verse 14 and 15. This is what it says. Therefore, behold, days are coming, declares the Lord, when it will no longer be said as the Lord lives who brought up the sons of Israel out of the land of Egypt. He says, that story's gone. He says, but as the Lord lives, here's your story, who brought up the sons of Israel from the land of the north and from all the countries where he had banished them. For I will restore them to their own land, which I've given to their fathers. Do you understand what he was telling them? He was giving them a brand new story. What was the new story that was gonna be told? Well, let me tell you the old story. The old story is God got you out of Egypt. That was the old story. Here's the new story. God got you out of Babylon. That's the country of the north. And through, through his people like Nehemiah and Ezra, God rebuilt the temple. God rebuilt the wall. In fact, what he was telling him was that what you went through, what you're going through is God is going to give you a brand new story. 
That the story you've been telling for the last thousand years on how God got you out of Egypt, that was a good story. But what I'm about to do now is I'm going to show you that I can get you out of Babylon, bring you right back. You're going to rebuild a temple. You're going to rebuild some walls and you're going to begin to tell that story. You're about to change the story even here at Times Square Church that you've been telling for the last 33 years. It's been a miracle story on how God has used uh, Pastor David Wilkerson and Pastor Carter Conlon and, and how God literally brought in, in some of the worst times that were going on in New York City. And then God brought a man, just as he did for Nikki Cruz all the way back in the 50s, put a vision in David Wilkerson's heart. And then all of a sudden, baton was passed to our overseer, Carter Conlon, who literally began to navigate a brand new set of waters. And can I tell you what's happening now? What we're faced as a nation, what this city has faced, being a, the epicenter of an epidemic. Here's the miracle. God goes, a new story is being written. That one day you're going to tell your children that when the doors of the church were closed, God started to begin to write a brand new story. See, I believe, what's that story? Listen to me close. There will be a season that the story will not happen. Here it is, in the church building, but outside of the church building. Because the stories we can tell here for the last 33 years have all happened on this stage, in a water baptismal, at this altar that's behind me, in those seats. Some of you that are watching today have sat in the very seats behind me. I've sat in the choir in front of me, have been baptized in those waters, and now God is going, I'm about to write a new story, not in the building, but outside the building, because you can't come inside the building. That it's going to be a story written on the streets and on comp off computer screens, in homes and in parks. Baptisms, not in a church baptismal tank, but maybe the baptisms are going to be happening in everything from bathtubs to lakes and ponds around New York City and even around the world. That we have a story that we've never been able to tell before, and I think God is getting us ready for a brand new story. This is what God even is doing in the book of Acts. A passage that I want you to begin to understand today because I want you to see that that's exactly what God was doing with the early church and the first Christians. God was going to give them a new story that was going to take place apart from an upper room in Acts chapter 2 where the presence of the Holy Spirit came down, filled them, baptized them, had uh, so flames of fire in the room, and instead of the story being what was taking place in the upper room, God goes, every chapter is going to be what's happened on the ground floor. Why? Because God goes, I'm not going to confine it to a building to an upper room, every chapter is going to be taking place at ground zero, on the ground. That, that's where the story, every chapter is going to be a brand new story. Just like God was telling the children of Israel, you're going to tell a new story. I believe we're going to begin to tell a new story of what God is doing. That they were not to tell the upper room story throughout the book of Acts, but the story that was going to be made throughout every single chapter of that day. See, I think TSC's new story will not be stuck in a building and in church services, but what God is now doing outside of the building, around the city, around the country, and even around the world. So let me take you on a journey that I think is so important. Let me make a statement that may, that may not seem so profound, but it really is important, is this, is this phrase. Listen to this. Acts 3 comes after Acts 2. Some of you are not blown away by that. I know that's not profound, but it is really important to understand. Because Acts 2, I think for us here at Times Square Church, and for whatever church that you attend, is those last 33 years that God has done amazing things inside of this building with Pastor Dave and Pastor Carter. 
And it's called, for the, for the first church, it was called the day of Pentecost, where the fire of God came down, touched them in that upper room, where they experienced the power of the Holy Spirit. But what comes next, I think, becomes a guide for all of us. It's a guide of a next season. It becomes the guide of a, of a new story that God is wanting to do outside of the building that we can't even open up due to, due to COVID restrictions. See, in Acts 2, the Holy Spirit comes down, fire touches them, and a church was started. People were changed in that upper room, but they didn't put it on autopilot. They didn't go, God touched us. Let's just wait until fire comes again. So we'll just wait here in an upper room. Those people, those 120 realized that what took place in that upper room wasn't meant to go to autopilot, but it was meant for a new story to begin to be written. Just like they were talking about in Jeremiah chapter 16. Can I show you what's next? Can I show you what happens? Why Acts 3 is profoundly um, in, in order after Acts chapter 2? That it's not just a number order, but really is a monumental story order. Because once the upper room begins to take place, let me read to you starting in Acts chapter 3 verse 1. This is what it says. Now Peter and John, who are in the upper room, were going to the temple. That means they're out of the upper room and going to the temple. At the ninth hour, the hour of prayer. And the man who had been lame from his mother's womb was being carried along, whom they used to set down every day at the gate of the temple, which is called Beautiful, in order to beg alms of those who were entering the temple. When he saw Peter and John about to go into the temple, he began asking to receive alms. He was begging them for money. But Peter, along with John, fixed his gaze on him and said this, look at us. And he began to give him his attention and expecting to receive something from them. Peter said, now remember, this is Peter and John who've just come from a touch of God, an upper room. And he says this to him, I don't possess silver and gold, but what I do have, I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ, the Nazarene, walk. And seizing him by his right hand, he raised him up and immediately his feet and ankles were strengthened. With a leap, he stood upright and began to walk. He entered the temple with them, walking and leaping and praising God. And all the people saw him walking and praising God. And they were taking note of him as being the one who used to sit at the gate, the beautiful gate of the temple to beg alms. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what has just happened to him. I want you to see verse one one more time. It says, when Peter and John were going up to the temple at the ninth hour, the hour of prayer. Think of this for, the mo- for how important this is. After the most powerful move of God in, 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 after the resurrection of Jesus Christ, the church, almost sounds like today, leaves the building, leaves the upper room. The church leaves the upper room and now goes public. The church goes into circulation. Instead of being confined to the walls of an upper room, even as legitimate as the outpouring and the, and the fire of God coming down from heaven, they knew that that was still confined only to a church service. It needed to get into circulation. And I love that it says it was the ninth hour because you know what the ninth hour is? It was 3 p.m. in the afternoon. Do you know why that, that's significant? Because the ninth hour, 3 p.m., was the normal hour for the Jews to go to the temple to pray. It was their entry point back into the normal schedule, society, and culture that they have. It, was, it meant that they were going back into circulation. They were going back to work. They were going back into their, their, their office. It means they were going back 
3 p.m., they're going back to the schedule. God, God was taking the unscheduled work of the Holy Spirit and saying, now take what I did here and I want you to bring that to your scheduled life. Now they started attending the normal prayer meeting. Instead of mapping out all these extra meetings, just the normal prayer meeting. Take what, what I did and now bring it to your, to, to your life. This is so insightful because they were becoming, this is important, they were becoming 3 p.m. Christians. 3 p.m. Christians, which means Christians on schedule to begin to circulate and touch the people that they were coming in contact with. Now, that's an important phrase, a 3 p.m. Christian. Let me define that for you for the next few moments. What is a 3 p.m. Christian? I, I think it's this. It's a Christian that was touched by the Holy Spirit in a special meeting, but now takes that new touch and brings it to their everyday environment. I, I think of it. Think of it, Times Square Church. It's where God has used 33 years of the powerful preaching of Pastor David Wilkerson, Pastor Carter Collins says, now I'm going to ask you to take what you got in those special meetings and now bring it to, in a sense, an everyday environment. It really is. It's, it's, he, he was saying this. These are new people in the same old place. New people in the same old office. New people driving the same old bus. New people conducting the same old subway. New people in the same, new people in the same old building. It's the same person in a different setting. This is where, I would say it like this, a 3 p.m. Christian comes to the same places, but with a different heart and a different perspective. That's what God was doing with these Christians. See, understand how important this is. God doesn't change places. He changes people. He changes the person. God goes, I can change places, but, but I don't do that without changing a person. And the person begins to go into that place. See, there comes a time when you have to leave practice and get in the game. You have to leave the weight room and see if what you've been doing really works. Acts 3 determines if Acts 2 is real and lasting. Let me say that again. Acts 3 determines if Acts 2 is legit. Real life is going to determine if it's real. Real life is going to determine if it's real. So here's the question. How do you do church without a church? Hmm. How do you do church without a Sunday live service? Or let me say it like this. How do you serve without a service? Think how crazy this is and the time that we're in. Let me just remind you, God's writing a new story. God's writing. He's saying, get ready because you're about to tell a new story. Just like Jeremiah told him, God told him in Jeremiah. You've been telling this for, for a thousand years. I'm about to write you a new story where I'm going to rebuild a temple and I'm going to begin to rebuild a wall. See, Acts 3 shows us really the church in circulation. Acts 3 shows us how the church works without even an upper room, but with the effect of the upper room. Alan Hirsch from Australia wrote something really profound after March 15th. Listen to these words. He says, if you want to learn how to play chess, you should start by removing your own queen. Once you've mastered the game without the most powerful piece on the board, then put the queen back in and see how good you really are. For the church, the Sunday service was the queen. And on March 15th, the queen was removed from the board. Now we have to learn how to play chess with all the other pieces, the body of Christ. You don't have a Sunday service. We don't have a stage. We don't have any of the, any of the bands and all, all the things that are going on. See, keep this in mind. Listen, the church, church is not canceled. 
church just moved. That's all that is. I heard someone say this, be married to the mission, but just date the methods. That just because you can't get inside of a building due to health restrictions to be baptized in a baptismal tank in the church doesn't mean you can't be baptized. Married to the mission. We believe, according to Matthew 28, that God, the next step after someone is born again is to be baptized in the name of the Son, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. But do you have to do it in a church? Listen, it could be done, like we said. It could be done in a pond. It could be done in a, in a bathtub. It could be done by pouring a bucket of water. And you're thinking, how can we baptize if we're not inside of a church building? See, the church's mission has not changed. The methods may have. The upper room is done, but that's why we can move into Acts chapter 3 and even see miracles take place without an altar, without an organ, and even without a stage in a church. See, if the disciples don't go into Jerusalem or walk down the steps from an upper room, then Pentecost literally becomes meaningless. Then it becomes religious. If you don't bring the church to the community, to Jerusalem, then all of a sudden we start to realize our services then have gotten stuck. We've, we've been stuck within the confines of a wall. Pentecost, what I see that the day of Pentecost in Acts chapter 2 didn't create more Pentecost, but occasional Pentecost when it was needed. When they were going through persecution, God goes, let my spirit fall down. It's not that you're looking for an upper room, but I'll have my spirit touch you. That's what happened in Acts 4.31. After they went through some persecution, the Bible says, and when they prayed, the place where they had gathered together, it wasn't even the upper room, it was just somebody's home, the place where they had gathered together was shaken and they were all filled, just like the upper room, with the Holy Spirit and began to speak the word of God with boldness. Did you see what just happened? God goes, I, I can do Pentecost without an upper room. I, I can pour out my spirit without the confines of the four walls of where you experienced it the first time. This is... This is what I love about the upper room where it all started in Acts chapter 2. They didn't, they didn't make a shrine out of it. They didn't set up stanchions around the upper room and charge admission for, for people to come, um, for, for next generation Christians to come and look at the burn marks on the floor from the fire from heaven or to, to look at wood that maybe is fallen off the walls because the mighty wind blew the, wall, the, the wood off the walls. There were, there, were no, there were no t-shirts that said, I visited the upper room. There was no foam hats like we have in New York with little flames on top instead of Statue of Liberty hats. It, there was none of that stuff. There was none of those things. You never even heard about the upper room again, even in the book of Acts. Because the church went into, into circulation. See, what they were saying was church wasn't canceled. Church just moved. Why? Because the church is living and living things move. That's what makes the church of Jesus Christ powerful. In fact, what you saw on the announcements was the church in circulation. When what your generosity did, think about this, in Athens, Greece, what your generosity did in Athens, Greece was made the church bring food, leave the confines of its building and to begin to bring food to the refugees of Greece. Think of the amazing story that you heard that those refugees that maybe wouldn't have stepped in through the doors of the church. I, I was blown away to think of the story that the mothers were holding the ears of their children so they wouldn't hear the gospel message, holding their ears. And by the time that the church 
kept coming in and serving them food in Athens, Greece, because of your generosity, that we were able to send that money to help that mission organization in Athens, that the mothers, think about this, for the first time took their, their hands off the ears of their children because they knew that there was something real about this. You know what happened? The church left the building. The church went into circulation. You know what happened in Athens, Greece? Is Acts 3. They came down the steps and walked into the lives of refugees. I think there are two things that happen to 3 p.m. Christians and to a 3 p.m. church, to a church that goes into circulation, to a church that wasn't canceled but just moved. Let me, let me just give them to you very simply what I see from this story. Number one is this. Every day of the week replaces one day of the week. Every day of the week replaces one day of the week. I was reading the story of Sam Bass. Sam Bass, when he was seven years old, his mom said he would take his new shiny Hot Wheel cars from the boxes. He would tear off all of the wheels of, the, of these cars and repaint the bodies of these cars, the brand new cars that his mom would buy for him, those $2 cars that I saw growing up. His mom used to complain and ask him what he was doing. And Sam Bass would just look at his mom and just simply say, Mom, I want them to look the way that I want them to look. Sam still feels that way today. In fact, Sam Bass is NASCAR's preeminent artist. He has designed 350 paint schemes on drivers for NASCAR, like Bobby Allison, Dale Earnhardt, Jeff Gordon, just like he did for Hot Wheels. Now he's doing them for real cars and views his job as an artist. Think of this for a moment. He says these cars are really 200 mile an hour paintings 200 mile an hour billboards for people to see all of his decals that he, that he paints on them. See, it's crazy. When a company sponsors a NASCAR vehicle, it's investing between 15 to $20 million on that car to effectively advertise its brand, whether it's in the rear lower quarter panel, um, which runs about a half a million dollars to the most expensive advertisement they say on the planet, which is the hood of the car. And what's crazy is that marketers say when that car comes by at 200 miles an hour, people see Sam Bass's artwork for literally just a couple of seconds. They have to see the paint, the clarity, the logo. They have to see the placement of the words and the image to determine, is all determined if people are going to pay that money to see Sam Bass's artwork. You know, the season that we're in today, I feel like our Christianity is like NASCAR zipping by at 200 miles an hour, you can't even eat in a restaurant. You have to get in, pay, and take it out and go. Or somebody may deliver it to your door and you see them. You open the door, give them the money. Or if you, or if you prepaid it, you take it out and you just walk away. And we're zooming by people 200 miles an hour. And I keep thinking to myself that, that instead of being light, it seems like that we're in communities now. We're just becoming lightning. And we're, we're the church now that's out there. But I keep thinking, if... You and I are a walking advertisement for the Lord, like that NASCAR. What would people learn about Jesus, about him? If, if, we're, if we're the ones zooming into a restaurant, picking up our order because we, we can't eat there, or picking up a package at a store, or dropping something off, today it's like we're zooming back and forth. And if, God's, if God is on our life and God has touched us by his Holy Spirit and we're zooming by all of these neighbors and staff and people in the streets, what is, what is the painting on us? What is the thing that people are saying that's visible on them? Is it gratitude? Is it joy? 
Is it hope? I, I, I was, I was pr- walking through the streets of New York recently and just praying, praying for the services, praying for our staff. I just felt like God said, I, 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 want you, I want the gratitude decal on you. And I remember walking by each of the streets, knowing, knowing the difficult time that they're going through. I started to thank all of our first responders, from police officers to the hospital workers that I would see on the streets. I would say, I want to thank you. I want to thank you. I want to thank you. I said, God, they may only see me for a few seconds, but I want them to see a decal of gratitude on me. That as I zoom by, I want them to hear gratitude and thankfulness in my voice. What, what is it? What is it that people see when you zoom by? Man, a thank you does a whole bunch for people. What did, what did that lame man in Acts chapter 3 saw? I, I have this sense that maybe he saw hope that he never saw before. Because if these people were stuck in a room, that maybe he never would have seen hope. Or let me say it like this. This was a man, this lame, he's lame, remember. No legs, the legs don't work. This was a man that couldn't make it to church and he needed the church to come to him. Or I could say that the lame man couldn't walk up the stairs to the upper room. So now the church had to come down the stairs. Do you know how important this is? Because there are people that would, in our cities here, not only in New York, but in the cities that you're in, that would never come through the doors of a church. But now the church has left the building. We've walked into Acts 3. A new story is about to be told. And people that would never come in are now literally on our radar in the crosshairs going, now they have an opportunity. That lame man never would have been in the upper room. But when the church came down and the church touched that man, then something happened. I was reading what one man said. He says, there is a difference between knowing the good news and being the good news. How we live our lives is the evidence. Everything counts all the time. That's so important. Let me, let me finish with this of what a 3 p.m. Christian is. Not only is a 3 p.m. Christian um, what I believe is just, is, and this makes every day of the week, like the, because they're back on schedule. It's 3 p.m. It's 3 p.m. It's just going back on schedule. It's not being stuck in an upper room, stuck in a church service. And if you come into our building, then you get to hear the message. But now you can't come into our building. So now the message is coming out to you. So every day of the week replaces one day of the week. But the second thing and the final thing is this. The ordinary starts to look like a candidate for the extraordinary. The ordinary starts to look like a candidate for the extraordinary. You get new eyes from being touched by the Holy Spirit. See, think of this. The lame, that lame man wasn't new at that gate. In fact, the Bible tells us in Acts chapter 3, from the day he was born, he's been put down there to beg for money. He's been taught to do that for years, which tells me that Peter and John, listen for a moment, that Peter and John saw that man many, many, many times before but ignored him as the beggar. They ignored him as just the one that's always asking for money. He, they, they would walk by to get to their appointment, their 3 p.m. They would just walk by just so they can get to the prayer meeting at the 3 p.m. synagogue prayer hour. But now something has happened. To leave the upper room and now to see the same man, the same beggar, asking for money the same way he always does, The upper room changed Peter and John. 
the ordinary starts to look like a candidate for the extraordinary. Because when God touches you, when the Holy Spirit touches you, you, you see people differently. You notice people. When God touches you, then you love people better. Not just love God better, but you love people better. Think of that. That's what Christianity does. Christianity doesn't just make me love God. Christianity makes me love people. It's not, it's not a true work of God if you don't treat people any better after becoming a Christian. See, they're passing by this guy every single day, and now they finally see him, really see him. The ordinary and the common now starts to look differently. From Starbucks, um, from the Starbucks cashier to your spouse, from your kids to your coworkers, all of a sudden you're going, the work of the Holy Spirit gives me new eyes. It, it resets my system. Pastor Tim, how, how do we do that? How do we take that, 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 that 3 p.m. spirit, how do we take that into circulation like they did in the upper room? How do we make that happen? Here's, I want to challenge you with this because we're living in a time that I don't, I don't think there's a lot of people that will say no. And, 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 and I'm experiencing that. Not many people are saying no. Is pray with people as much as possible. Here's Peter and John who have never prayed with this, with this man, probably ever before. And the first time they pray for him, they don't give him money. They pray for him. And all of a sudden, this man begins to walk. He becomes a candidate for a miracle. I'm wondering, would God have done that years before if they would have saw him differently? If they would have saw him with, with eyes that, that were baptized with the Holy Spirit? Can I challenge you today, Christians, on how to be a 3 p.m. Christian? It's this. Ask this question a lot today. Can I pray with you? Don't just walk by people. Say, God, this could be a candidate for a real miracle from God. See, the upper room helped them notice people and believe for a miracle because what that upper room does, what that prayer meeting did in the upper room, and that's why I want to challenge you, even on your Tuesdays, join Pastor Carter, our overseer at Times Square Church, for our 7 p.m. prayer meeting, which will happen just the next few days as, as almost 200 nations will join together with their prayer requests going in a banner across the screen. I really, because what I believe happens I believe prayer and the Holy Spirit reset, reboot our system so people don't just look the same way. My, a few years ago, my wife asked me to do something that I didn't think was any big deal until, until I got there. My wife said, she said, hey, I want to change my perfume. Why don't you come with me to the store because you're going to have to smell it. And I thought, that's a pretty good, that's a pretty good assessment. She goes, let's, let's, let's go together. And so, but I didn't think... I didn't realize what I was getting into when I said yes to Cindy. So we go, we end up at Macy's and we walk into this, this perfume area and all these ladies in doctor jackets are spraying these white cards and they're, they're, they're waving them here, smell this, smell this. And, and, and I remember starting the, the journey of smelling all of these index cards. So they'd spray it, smell this. And I'm going, oh, wow, that's, that's interesting. Smells like um, citrus. And then another one. And I'm going, that's, that's like musk. And all, all of a sudden by the third one, everything started to smell the same. Everything did. And I was going like, wait a second. This is like a racket. It's like all these different bottles, but everything smells the same. And the, I'll never forget what the lady said. She said, wait one second. She brought me over to a counter 
where there was a glass of coffee beans. And I'm looking at these coffee beans and she goes, smell these coffee beans. I'm going like after, after the cards and the, and, the, and the bottles. And she goes, smell the coffee beans. Then she sprayed the card again and she goes, now smell it. And then all of a sudden the smell popped. I'm going, oh, it's distinct. I got it. I said, what just happened? She said, those coffee beans kind of reset your palate. She says, that's why you see them on, on the perfume counters. Because if you don't smell those beans, she says, everything smells the same. It resets the system. Folks, listen to me. That's exactly what prayer and the Holy Spirit do. It resets the system. Because if you don't, if you don't let God through the Holy Spirit come in and to see with new eyes then nobody looks like a candidate for a miracle. That's just the beggar. That's just the guy that gets me the coffee. That's the person that, that delivers the, the food to my house. That's the guy at the restaurant who's giving me the takeout food. But what the Holy Spirit does, see, for, he begins to say, now that's a person for a candidate for a miracle. That man that you walk by every single day to go to your 3 p.m. prayer meeting, that's a candidate. That man can walk again. See, without the Holy Spirit, everything's citrus. But when the Holy Spirit comes in, then all of a sudden, everything is a possibility for a miracle. When the Spirit of God touches the people of God, then you see everything differently. You begin to go into circulation as a brand new person. Ephesians 5.18 charge to us from the Apostle Paul is so much deeper than the words that, that, that are relegated sometimes just to a denominations. Listen to the words. Do not get drunk with wine, Paul says, which will only ruin you. He says, instead, be filled with the Spirit. Be filled with the Spirit. Why? See, to be filled with the Spirit, Paul was saying, because God has to send you to circulation. God has to have you come down the steps of the upper room to get to the gate beautiful because there's a lame man that needs to walk that didn't have a shot of walking up the stairs because he wouldn't have shown up at the upper room to be filled with the spirit, but you needed to come down to bring him his miracle as we have to right here in New York City or you do in, the, in whatever city you're in. It's the Jeremiah 16. There's a new story waiting to be written. You could be cast in that new story. See, God didn't change you for church. God changed you for life, everyday life. What do you mean, Pastor Tim? Okay, think of Ephesians 5.18. That's what it says. Be not drunk with wine, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. Why? What comes next is profound. Because Ephesians 5.18 is the Acts 2 upper room. Be filled with the Holy Spirit. But the next verses really are kind of the Acts 3, the Acts 3 circulation. You know what comes after it? Is this. Here it comes. Don't be drunk with wine, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. Why? Because husbands, I need you to love your wives. Wives, I need you to respect your husbands. Go over to Ephesians 6. Because children, I need you to obey your parents. And you know what? And fathers, I need you to raise up your children and instruct them in the ways of the Lord. And you know what, workers? This is Ephesians 6. You know what, workers? 
I need you to know how to work for a boss that maybe doesn't have it all together and is pretty messed up, but you're not working for him, you're working unto me. Did you just see what happened? That is the spirit-filled life in circulation. What he was saying was, don't be drunk with wine, but be filled with the spirit. Why? Because I'll change your marriage. I'll change your parenting. I'll change your children. And I'll change you as you go to a job, even working for a supervisor that you're thinking, how could I show up even another day? See, the Holy Spirit doesn't fill you. Listen to this. Listen, the Holy Spirit doesn't just fill you to speak in tongues, but so you can speak in English to your wife, to your children, and to your supervisor. That's what he does. We have taken the Holy Spirit. We put him in these seats out here. And we says, this is what God does. He fills me with the spirit so I can sing in the choir. Mm-mm. Be filled with the Holy Spirit. I'll change your marriage. Be filled with the Holy Spirit. I'll change your parenting. Be filled with the Holy Spirit. You'll be the best worker on the job. I need this Holy Spirit to send me into circulation. I don't want to live in an upper room. I want to be put into Acts chapter three. I want to see the lame walk. The church hasn't closed. The church just moved. That's what's amazing because I need the Holy Spirit. I need him every day. I need help every day. Life is too big for you and for me to face it alone. And you don't have to. Help is available. It's as simple as this. When you become a Christian, you don't get church. You get God. When you become a Christian, it's not all of a sudden, you're a Christian, here's the church. Mm-mm. You get the living God living inside of you. It says now you're ready to, to face what's out there. Because church can't go with you on a subway. Church can't go with you when you're getting on a flight wondering, man, I'm afraid. Church can't go with you as you're stepping outside your house and you're feeling like I have a high risk preconditions facing a pandemic. The church can't because the church is closed. Listen, but God can. God can go with you. Pastor Tim, how, how do I get God in my life? I thought I have to be in church to get God. Here's what's amazing. Do you understand that God invited the planet into a relationship with him when he came 2,000 years ago through his son? When he died for you and for me on a cross for our sins, he was inviting us into a relationship with him. That wherever you're listening to this, in, in your living room, in your home, in a car, walking in your neighborhood, outside, in a park, God has been inviting you into a relationship with him. And that relationship can happen even with the church doors closed. Well, Pastor Tim, if, if Jesus died for me, then, then, then is that is all good? No, no, no. You have, you have to RSVP. You have to send it. I accept. I got a wedding invitation. Uh, Cindy and I did just, just recently. And, I, and they're going to do some type of virtual wedding and, and get it all set. I have to RSVP to tell them, yes, yeah, we'll be there. Yeah, we'll, we'll do that. And God, who sent his only son to die for you to say, I'm not giving you a church. I'm giving you me that I can live inside of you. That you can face your Acts 3s. You can step out going, I may not have church because the doors are closed, but I know I have God. 
well, Pastor Tim, how do I have that kind of relationship? Jesus calls that relationship. This is how you RSVP to say, God, thank you for dying for me. Thank you for the greatest invitation ever. The invitation for forgiveness of sins. The invitation to a changed life. The invitation to eternal life and heaven. RSVP. The thank you is, I want to be born again. Those are Jesus' words. It's not Times Square Church words. They're not Protestant or Catholic. It's Jesus' words. Jesus tells us in John 3, 3 and John 3, 5, that unless a man or woman is born again, he can never enter into the kingdom of heaven. Those are Jesus' words. In fact, he says in John 3, 5, you must be born again. Isn't, isn't it interesting he, that, that some of you have, have actually said these words, well, I've... I've I must be in a relationship with God because I had communion. I had my first communion or I was baptized or my, my, I'm a good person. And as good as those things are, it's not what Jesus said. Jesus said, you must be born again, which means don't make optional what Jesus says is a necessity. Well, then Pastor Tim, how, how do you become born again? Every single week, we'll make it as simple as we can. Just like we would tell our children, when they're first learning to read, we would start with the ABCs. It's as simple as ABC. A. Each one of those letters correspond to something. A, admitting that I'm a sinner. So when I get honest with God, that all of us, starting with me, have a condition called sin. And it can't be fixed with a promise or a program. Or even a pastor, I can't fix it. Because I have the same condition. We need help to get it fixed. I'm broken inside. You're broken inside. The diagnosis is sin. And as one pastor said, we're not mistakers in need of correction. We're sinners in need of a savior. We need more than a second chance. We need a second birth. That's what Jesus talks about being born again. Well, then how do I get fixed? That's the B word. That's believe. Believing that God sent his son 2,000 years ago to die on a cross. That's what that, that was the song Ivory was singing about. This is amazing grace. This is unfailing love. That Jesus died in your place and in my place. This is God saying, you can't fix yourself, but I can fix you through the death, burial, and resurrection of my son. If we could fix ourselves, then God would never have to have sent his son 2,000 years ago. Then the suffering he went through would just be absolutely useless. It would be child abuse, a father sending his son to go through all that. If I could get myself to heaven by being good, then Jesus would never have to have died on the cross for me. Jesus' death for me was him becoming my sin bearer, was paying the price for me. Him dying the death, I should have died. Him living the life I could never live. And him giving a reward I really don't deserve called heaven and forgiveness, a changed life. And finally, it's the C word is confess. Admit, believe, confess. Jesus as Lord. Boy, that's a big word. Lord actually means boss. You're in charge now. God didn't send his son to die on a cross so he could sit in a seat on Sunday because there are no seats for Sunday now. He didn't do that. His goal wasn't to get you simply to church. His goal was to get you to live with him in heaven forever. Coming to church on Sunday, that's religion. Being born again, that's a relationship. See, that's why Christianity is not coming to a place because the place is closed. It's coming to a person and you can come to him today and say, you be boss, Lord, 
you're in charge of my life. That's Romans 10, 9 and 10. That just as you had a first birth, you need a second birth. Just as many of you were first born in a hospital physically, now it's time to have your second birth date spiritually, and it can happen right now. Pastor Tim, I want that. I, 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 want, I, I want to be able to have that relationship that you're talking about with God. I didn't realize I can do it without, without a church building being open. You could do it right there in your house, right there in your living room, right there off your iPhone or your laptop. You can do it right now. If you're there right now and just say, Pastor Tim, I want to take that next step. I, I, I want that relationship. I want to be born again. It's the most important question I can ever ask you. The most important question is, have you been born again? And if you're, if you're listening to right now, you say, I, I want to be born again. Here's what I want you to do. If you're able to, I want you to pray. I'm, I'm going to give you, I'm going I'm to pray a prayer, a born again prayer. And if that's you and say, I want to do that. I want to take that next step. I admit that I'm a sinner. I believe that Jesus died in my place. I want to confess him to be Lord. I want you to pray with me. And as soon as we say amen, don't click off. Don't click. Don't, don't turn off your phone. Don't, don't close the, the laptop up. As soon as we say amen, Pastor David's going to come up and say, here's a great next step for you. But I want you to pray this prayer with me. I want, I want you to say, if you can, say it out loud. Come on, even as a family, say these words with me. Dear Lord Jesus, I believe you're the son of God. I believe that on the cross, you took my sin, my shame, and my guilt, and you died for it. You faced hell for me, so I wouldn't have to go. You rose from the dead to give me a place in heaven, a purpose on earth, and a relationship with your father. Today, Lord Jesus, I turn from my sin to be born again. Come on now, say this with me. God is my father. Jesus is my savior. The Holy Spirit is my helper. And heaven is my home. In Jesus' name, amen.